please keep your Bibles open. Um, I, George has prayed. Um, I'd like you to start off um, just turning someone next to you, so you will need to be sitting next to someone. Um, just turn to the person next to you, and um, maybe they know you quite well, maybe they don't know you very well, but so you can decide on how honest the answer you give them. But um, just, just describe to them how you would respond if someone criticised you. Okay. Um, I'm going to notch up just a few few th- pegs, okay? What about if they criticise you or condemn you for something that they, you actually didn't do, okay? Before, before, before people get sort of too angry, too agitated on such a hot day, um, get into arguments perhaps. Um, let's bring it back together. I think it depends on your temperament, doesn't it? Sometimes people are like go on the attack, you know, confrontation. You know, yes, but you didn't do this or you did that or... You know, go on the attack. What about trying to defend ourselves? Some people are like that. You know, try to plead. You know, I was innocent. I didn't do it. Um, explain themselves to other people. Which one are you? Which one are you? Um, I, I was in the shop with Tom just a few days ago. Um, I held open a, uh, a see-through glass door. And as a woman tried to push past me with her daughter, I, I went to close it so they could get through. And the door then bounced out of the fridge and just caught the lady. And I said, um, I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she thought I was smiling. So she said, you shouldn't find that funny. And then, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm instantly saying, I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm sorry. You know, I, I said, sorry, you know, try to justify myself. So we're looking at this chapter of Job. Chapter 27 is an interesting one because... It's actually the last response that Job makes to his all three friends. And if we remember, what have the friends been doing? They've been falsely accusing Job. They've been saying, look, Job, you must have done something seriously wrong. Let's tell you what you did wrong. Let's suggest the kind of things that you did. Maybe you, uh, to get rich, you trod on other people. Maybe you cheated and you oppressed other people in order to get there, Job. But it must be that because you're suffering so terribly. God is judging you. God is punishing you. And in, here in this last of his responses to uh, their accusations, Job challenges them. Um, and we see something here that is actually a Christian response. And um, We're going to see three things. We're going to see first that he has confidence. His identity before God has not changed. His standing before God has not changed by their accusations. So we see that confidence. Then we're going to see um, his prayer, what he prays in that situation. And then we're going to see a warning that he gives to the friends in the last bit of the chapter. Um, So firstly then, Job's confidence. Um, Let's look at that together, verses 2 to 6. He says, As God lives who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my life so bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood. And my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. In different ways in that uh, verse 6, he says, "I, I can't say that you're in the right. I can't agree with you about what you say about me because it's just not true. And he says, um, till I die, I will not put away my integrity. I hold fast my righteousness. 
before God. And then in the last bit of that, my heart does not reproach me. My conscience is clear. So Job is essentially saying, God has a final say on me. It's amazing, isn't it? For a man who's, who's so vulnerable and weak, in such a vulnerable situation, and being crowded out by three guys who are saying, hey, look, Job, you've got to listen to us. For him to have a confidence that's sure. For him to say, look, whatever you say about me, it's just God will have the final say on me. We've seen that before, haven't we? He says, when I stand before the judge, he will equip me. So the first thing we see about Job in his response is his confidence hasn't shifted, it hasn't moved. It's still in the fact that God can declare him righteous. Not because Job is sinless, not because he never sinned, but because of a sacrifice for sin. And Job, Job says, that's my confidence, even when people were saying things that I didn't do. What, what else does he say? Well, he says in the next bit, he says, well, God, he prays, God, you have the final say on those who falsely accuse me. So the second thing Job says is, is a prayer. All of this is uh, within their hearing. But if you look down with me um, at verse 7, uh, we can see it's a prayer because it's a request, isn't it? Let my enemy be as the wicked. And let him who rises up against me be as the unrighteous. We're used to the idea, aren't we, that God will judge those who oppose him. We're far less used to the idea that God will judge those who oppose his people. But essentially that's what Job is praying here. He's saying there is a link between those who oppose God's people and them opposing God himself. The one who God has declared righteous, if people come along and say, actually, you're in the wrong, and they align themselves with the accuser of the brethren, which, was, which is Satan himself. Now, I'm not saying that if they actually have done something wrong, I'm talking about Job's friends, and, and, and they're, acu- they're saying to Job, um, you're not righteous. In fact, to be righteous, you need to... Um, change your ways and make yourself righteous and they haven't understood God at all his justice, his mercy and so it's actually true that if the friends are on the wrong side of Job they're actually on the wrong side of Jesus they don't realise that and so Job, is, Job makes a prayer doesn't he instead of retaliation it's, it's amazing isn't it that um, the, the, the believer doesn't take matters into their own hands. You think of the amount of times you see stuff where it's in the news or whatever it is, and you think, that's essentially happened because someone's taken matters into their own hands. Here in Dagenham, people say the police don't do anything for us. And so the response is, we need to do something about what people do to us. We take matters into our own hands. And yet the believer doesn't retaliate, He prays. (laughs) He takes his uh, unjust accusations, or their unjust accusations, and he directs them, not in retaliation, but to the God that they believe in. Job says, let God decide. Let my enemy be as the wicked, and let him who rises up against me as the unrighteous. 
Again, we feel a bit uncomfortable with that kind of prayer because uh, essentially Job is saying, God, you judge wickedness. You judge your, your, your people who oppose you and who oppose your people. We're kind of used to Christians praying, um, God, save them. Yeah? <laughs> and that it's sort of like wrong to even suggest that God might judge them in prayer. I don't know if that's because we don't face all that much persecution. Maybe, maybe it is. But my guess is for people who are in places where people are doing some pretty horrible things to Christians, the comfort knowing that they can talk to God about that, knowing that he will be the final judge, that his final judgment will not let these things go unpunished. He will deal with it in the end. My guess is that that's a great comfort. And I guess when I'm looking at news stories and stuff like that, my tendency is to just to gloss over it and to not pray about God's judgment and what I'm saying is God is powerless or he doesn't care about the, the things that people are doing towards his people. He either can't do anything about it because he's powerless or he doesn't want to do anything about it. He just doesn't care enough about them. Whereas I wonder if my prayers were, God, you bring their wickedness to an end. God, you bring their evil, their opposition towards you, which is ultimately the opposition towards you. And is reflected in opposition to his people. You bring that to an end. Um, if this was an isolated incident of this kind of prayer, you might think, oh, maybe Job is going a bit too far. Um, but in the Psalms, you hear David praying that kind of prayer. So much so that there's enough Psalms that mention God judging his enemies that they're called, they've given the group name, the imprecatory Psalms. If you wanted to know that, you probably didn't. But they've been given a group name. Um, because there's enough psalms that, that pray that prayer. So we're not meant to think it's wrong what Job is doing here. Going to God, saying, Lord, Lord you judge. It's quite, quite natural, isn't it, if we believe in the God who um, is the final judge, that we would actually turn that belief into talking to him about that judgment. To actually go to him in prayer. And that's far different, isn't it, from taking matters into his own hands and saying, I'm going to be the judge. But what should we pray um, as Christians uh, when we're perhaps persecuted? I did say we didn't face too much persecution, but there would be some some cases of people losing their jobs, um, that kind of thing. What should we pray when that happens? Well, um, if you want to turn in your Bibles uh, with me to Acts chapter 4, I will be looking at this passage in a few weeks' time. It's on page 9-11. Actually, uh, 9-12, because that's where they pray. It's a brilliant example of them praying about those two eventualities, the eventuality that God will judge the wicked and also the fact that God might humble and save people by his mercy. Both of them are included. Uh, We'll pick it up from um, verse 24. Uh, Verse 23. When they were released, that's the apostles... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So here we have a New Testament example of people facing opposition, opposition that they realise is, recognise is not just, you know, a d- difference in personality or, you know, it's, it's actually opposition towards Jesus, towards the gospel, uh, which behind that is Satan himself saying, we're going to shut Christians down, we're going to stop them saying, speaking and uh, speaking about Jesus. Or we're going to accuse them, we're going to undermine what their confidence is, we're, how they're standing with God and and bring that into question as they were doing with Job and this is an example of that it says that they said sovereign Lord (laughs) you're in control they know that it's not outside of his plans and they ask him to stretch out his hand and to grant them to speak their word, uh, his word with boldness so to continue to speak the word so it is a Christian prayer to come to God and to speak to him about not just his mercy to save but his future judgment as well and so just because it feels a bit uncomfortable to us we shouldn't assume it's wrong actually it can be really helpful to talk to God about that because then you won't take matters into your own hands you know that verse in Romans 12, verse 19? And we can turn to that as well, next, next book. Um, chapter 12, verse 19, it's on page 948. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. So the, way, the reason the Christian can pray that kind of prayer is because they actually believe that God is the one who will bring that final judgment. They've come to understand that. Through his grace, through his mercy, they've come, come to understand that he's the one who judges. So it's perfectly natural for them to talk to him about that. When people are being unreasonable, when people are accusing them when they've done nothing wrong. With all that said, God's people do have a joint command in the New Testament, and that's love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So although Job here is praying about God's judgment and his final judgment to put an end to their accusations, um, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. And, And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He prayed for us, those who were opposed to him when he died on the cross and this is what he did for our accusers as well he he prayed that prayer father forgive them for they do not know what they do and so 
Christ has set us his example and given us his command to pray for those who persecute us. Pray for them to be saved. Pray that that would be the way that God would choose to humble them. Of course he can humble them by causing them to face his judgment. That will humble them. But why not pray for them to be humbled by saving them before that day comes? Pray that instead of judgment, God, uh, that, that him saving them might be the way that God chooses to humble them. Pray that, uh, like Paul, um, who was stopped by Jesus on the road to Damascus, that God might actually just meet him and make him realise that he may be thinking he's just opposing Christians, but he's actually opposing Christ himself. Saul, it was you that, it's me that you were persecuting. Pray for them to realise that before it's too late. Um, and that's what we see in the last bit of um, the chapter. Um, we're just going to look at it from verse 8 onwards. Uh, if you jump back to Joe for me. Verse 8 onwards. Uh, we've seen two things. Job saying, God has the final say on me. Uh, God, please have the final say on those who are accusing me falsely. And then he says to his accusers, he says, don't leave it too late. Reading from verse 8. For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes his, away his life? Will God hear his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he take delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? The answer to all those questions is no. Because it will be too late. When God cuts him off and takes away his life, it will be too late for them to repent. God will not hear their prayer. God will not hear their cry. At that point, it will be too late. Job says, I will teach you concerning the hand of God, uh, his power, what he uses his power for. And what is with the Almighty, I will not conceal the same thing. I will not conceal it. I'll show it to you. And behold, you have seen this, and yet you have become altogether vain. So he's saying you should be able to see what God's hand is powerful to do because he's he's shown it, he's revealed it in my life, Job. (laughs) He's able to do this. And yet I need to teach you, I need to show you, I need to reveal to you these things. And then in verse 13 onwards, he basically says that the wicked man will in the end lose everything. The one who opposes God, opposes Jesus, will in the end lose everything. I'll give you an example of that. Fifteen is, uh, 16, sorry, verse 16. Though he heap up silver like dust and pile up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the righteous will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth, that a watchman makes. He goes to bed rich, but will do so no more. He opens his eyes and his wealth is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood. In the night, a whirlwind carries him off. So what Job is doing here is he's warning. In, in, in sort of some of the same language that they've used to try to scare Job to be a good person, they've been talking about judgment, but Job says, this is the final thing 
that those who are opposed to God will face. When God cuts you off, when he takes away your life, in the end, everything you have will come to nothing. Whatever you've worked for, it will come to nothing. You'll lose it all. And uh, it's a warning from Job. Um, he wants to... He, if you consider that this is a guy who has endured... We've heard it, haven't we? Like insults and slander and accusations and mean, mean things from people who are saying things about him when he's grieving, when he's hurting the most. It is amazingly gracious that he's now taking time to warn them. Slowly, patiently explaining to them what will happen. It is amazingly gracious, isn't it? And yet that's the third thing he does. He warns them. When you die, it will be too late to discover that you've got it wrong. If you are wrong about me, which I know that you are, Job's saying, then there is a danger for you facing God, thinking that you're in the right with him, thinking that that's how you get right with him. And I don't want you to have to face that. Job, Job's a, a suffering man who's been bullied and yet he's saying, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. I'm concerned for you. Let me help you. Let me teach you. Let me show you. It's amazingly different, isn't it, to what we'd expect in terms of responses. When we talked at the start about how we respond, we usually get defensive and say, oh, I need to justify myself to you. Or maybe we get on the attack and we say, I need to condemn you because you're trying to condemn me. And yet the Christian has a completely different response. In, you know, God is, by his Holy Spirit, changing us to be more like Job, to be more like Jesus. To be those who would respond with a confidence. It doesn't change my status before God. With a prayer. God, you're the one who is the judge in this situation, not me. You do what you see fit. And with a warning where needed. Holding out the gospel. The gospel is a warning, isn't it? The gospel is a warning saying, you're not right with God, you need salvation. And Job does that. So if you're not a believer, take, take the part of this passage which is showing that those who oppose believers and, and, and almost think that they're the ones in the wrong might actually be the ones who are in for a shock. And maybe you've had Christians in your life who are wanting to explain the gospel to you and you've said, shut up, I just don't want to hear it. The passage shows us, doesn't it, that our response to those who are bringing the truth about Jesus actually reflects our response to Jesus. Paul needed to hear God say to him, why are you persecuting me, Paul? Because those who are filled with God's spirit are Christ's body. So the accusations and the afflictions you want to bring towards them, that's how you want to treat Jesus. You can't separate the two. And in his people, he is holding out the message of hope to you. He is holding out the means of salvation, the forgiveness that you desperately need. How are you responding to them? 
Are you keeping them at arm's length? Are you trying to avoid their calls? Are you shutting down any conversation they bring about Jesus? It's a very dangerous place to be in. If that's you, I pray that that God would humble you so that you do receive the the message about Jesus that they're trying to share with you. That you see that it's a good warning. It's not an unloving warning, it's a loving warning. Because that's what we need. We know, don't we, that those who try to or who reject their only Christian friend, or those who want to stop Christians speaking about Jesus, they're in fact cutting themselves off from the truth that brings eternal life. So you can't separate the two. You can't say, I want the truth about Jesus and I don't want his people. They go together. I was um, chatting to a friend of mine in university, um, he was a guy who lived with us for a short, uh, me and another friend, Christian, we were two Christians, he wasn't. He was the ni- nicest guy you ever meet, honestly, nicest guy you ever meet. Um, we, we had a few conversations, obviously, about Jesus from time to time. And we were having this conversation, I remembered it really vividly, that I, we were on the stairs and he was, he was debating with me about Jesus and coming back with questions. And, and I just said to him, I I'd pretty much tried everything and nothing had worked. And then um, I just said to him, Ollie, uh, if it really is all made up, as you say it is, why is it making you so angry? And he said, immediately went, he hadn't thought about that before. If it really is all made up, why does it make you so angry? Because he, he was the nicest guy. Maybe it was me. It could have been me. I'll, I'll, I'll admit, it could have been the way that I was going about the conversation. But it, I think it probably was the truth. It was getting under his skin. He was, he was annoyed by it. And I think when we realise that it's our response to the message and the people bringing the message that shows what we really think about the one who the message is about, the Jesus who we are re- rejecting, There really is only two responses, isn't there? To get angry, proudly say no, or to say, Jesus, you you must know best. I'm going to listen to you. You're the king of all the universe, and I'm not. You're the Lord, and I'm not. You know what's best, and I don't. So can can we be praying? Um, If you are a Christian... Um, and this response in Job chapter 27 is, is your response too. I don't know if you realise that. But the response that we have in Job of someone who has confidence that they're standing before God has not been changed by those who would condemn them. That that's your, that's your response too. That you can pray... For God, the one you now know to be judge of all things, to bring a final say on those who accuse you. And that you can lovingly hold out the gospel and say, I, I desire for you to know differently. Yeah, they might reject it. Uh, but that is got the, the work of the Spirit in you to be different. Rather than taking matters into your own hands and getting angry or getting defensive, going on the attack. Praying, (laughs) 
responding to God, responding to their accusations with prayer for them and prayer about um, about them as well. Let's pray. Father God, we know that if it were not for your son uh, turning us from your enemies to be your friends, um, that our natural response would be to want to justify ourselves, to want to uh, keep ourselves in the right with everyone, to appease them, to get ourselves out of the condemnations that we feel we might be under. And yet we know that we faced an even worse condemnation from you, and yet you willingly took that away, so that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we pray that you would help us with this as believers, that we wouldn't get sort of defensive quickly, that we wouldn't get um, self-righteous when people who don't yet know you respond badly. We pray that you would help us to, uh, with the chapter to see that there is a, a response which mirrors Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.